This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. My name is Richard Serrett, and uh, this is a radio program that aims for your mind and your heart, but sometimes, occasionally, hits you in the stomach. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, my dear friend and colleague, George Ginescu, who just exited the building, he's been in radio for nearly 65 years. He's the host of Big Band Sunday Nights, uh, which uh, precedes this program here on our flagship uh, station, AM740, Zoomer Radio in Toronto. So after 65 years, you'd think he'd know a thing or two. But <laughs> I love George. Don't get me wrong. But several times on the air, George has referred to me I can barely say this with a straight face. He's referred to me as a modern-day prophet. Now, George's heart is in the right place, but in truth, it's, as I say, it's hard for me to keep, keep a straight face when he says it, and deep down, I suspect it's hard for him to keep a straight face when he says it. It goes without a question that I am about as far removed from being a prophet as any man could be. Uh, but one thing I will admit to, I am, uh, like many of you listening, uh, a seeker of the truth. I certainly don't claim that I found it, but I am looking. And for all of you listening tonight who are looking and searching, uh, this show is dedicated to you, searching for the truth. Uh, in a world full of deceit, that's, that's not for the, uh, the squeamish or the faint of heart, to be sure. Uh, as C.S. Lewis said, if you look for the truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin. And in the end despair. So let's all search for a little truth and may we all find some comfort in the end. Uh, No, I am uh, no prophet. Now Isaiah, there was a prophet, the prince of prophets. The author of the book in the Old Testament, Isaiah, also called the book of salvation. Now Isaiah is the first book in the Old Testament, or sorry, is the first book containing the writings of the prophets of the Bible. And Isaiah was a masterful writer. He had an immense vocabulary. He was also very poetic. And all of these attributes have earned Isaiah the title, the Shakespeare of the Bible. He was educated. He was distinguished and privileged. 
yet he remained a deeply spiritual man. He was committed to obedience over the long haul of his 55 to 60 year ministry as a prophet of God. He was a true patriot. He loved his country and his people. And strong tradition suggests he died a martyr's death under the reign of King Manasseh by being placed within the hollow of a tree trunk and sawed in two. Isaiah's calling as a prophet was primarily to the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, and to Jerusalem, urging the people to repent from their sins and return to God. He also foretold the coming of the Messiah and the salvation of the Lord. Many of his prophecies predicted events that occurred in Isaiah's near future, yet at the same time they foretold the events of the distant future, such as the coming of the Messiah, and even some events still to come in the last days. So in summary, the message of Isaiah is that salvation comes from God, not man. God alone is Savior, Ruler, and King. Well, tonight, we're going to talk about the book of Isaiah. More precisely, we'll be talking about one relatively obscure verse of Scripture that may hold the secret to the pain and suffering America has been experiencing in increasing doses since 9-11. Are America's key leaders unknowingly fulfilling a prophetic destiny of national judgment by uttering words from the Bible they don't comprehend. Is the United States following in the footsteps of ancient Israel with a spirit of defiance against God leading to increasingly severe judgments? And is this judgment revealed in an ancient mystery that foretells current events down to the exact dates? This is the subject of a new documentary entitled The Isaiah 9:10 Judgment, which is based on the research of a Messianic Jew, Pastor Jonathan Kahn. Joining me now is the producer of the Isaiah 9:10 Judgment, Joseph Farah. He's the founder, editor, chief executive officer of WorldNetDaily.com, the world's leading independent news site. In addition, he holds uh, he hosts a nationally syndicated talk radio show. He's written for such publications as the Wall Street Journal, Jerusalem Post, the L.A. Times, Boston Globe. On and on it goes. I could spend an hour uh, reading his bio, but uh, let's just get Joseph in here and get right down to business. Joseph, welcome to The Conspiracy Show, and, well, and thank you very much for uh, joining me tonight. No, it's great to be with you, Richard, and, and thank you for that nice introduction. You, you, you made it easy to talk about a, a very, you know, somewhat complicated subject by... Uh, your setup there. Well, congratulations. I, I watched the uh, the documentary uh, this afternoon, and we'll tell people how they can get a hold of the Isaiah nine ten judgment. Uh, first of all, just give us a, uh, some insights into uh, uh, Pastor or Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. Who is this yeah, man? That's a great place to start because it's kind of funny how I discovered Jonathan uh, before the Harbinger came out. Of course, after the Harbinger came out, and you know, went to. And, uh, became a New York Times bestseller on its very first week and has been there, I believe, ever since. We're going on uh, two years now. Um, and it has certainly been the biggest selling, you know, Christian book, faith book of the last two years. But it was in the fall of 2011, um, before anybody, you know, ever heard of Jonathan Connor, the harbinger, um, that I got. Uh, kind of an insight into his teaching. Uh, he had appeared on a, a television show that I had never seen or heard of, and I never watched, but somebody sent me a link to the, to, to the you know, episode that he appeared on for about 15 or 20 minutes. And you can imagine, uh, Richard, that I get a lot of emails, you know, thousands a day. 
And something made me put this one aside. I didn't just hit the delete key, which is the <laughs> the most tempting thing to do in my business. I put it aside. And uh, later in the week, on the weekend, something made me click on this thing. And I, <laughs> to this day, I, I just have to tell you, I think it was it was a God thing. I clicked on this um, show I'd never heard of, watched this guy I'd never heard of, and I heard him talk about the Harbinger. And within, within a few minutes, I was so hooked. I, I, I literally believed that he had hit on something so key to the future of America, the future of the world, where we are right now spiritually, what we're doing wrong, and, and how, we can, how we can save ourselves. And uh, I, I, was, I was so excited by this, this just this short synopsis that he gave on the show that on Monday morning uh, I found myself, you know, uh, dialing Jonathan's phone number and breathlessly uh, talking to him about, you know, of course the first question out of my mind, because I'm more known for publishing books than doing movies, was, hey, have you got a book contract? And... Uh, Sure enough, he had, uh, and the book was scheduled to come out in just a few months on January, the first week of January of uh, 2012. And so my second question was, uh, have you got a movie deal? And uh, that's where we got started. And literally within you know a couple of weeks, we had secured a licensing deal for the story and um, were in production because it was very important to me. I, I knew the Harbinger was going to be a big success. There, there was no question in my mind that this story, this teaching, was going to resonate with people from coast to coast and around the world, which it did. And I wanted to get the movie out as quickly as possible on the heels of that book release. And we were fortunate enough to be able to do that within three months. It was out in March of 2012, and uh, the Harbinger had already established tremendous momentum, uh, both in terms of sales and in terms of you know just reaching people by the millions. And uh, and so the Isaiah nine ten judgment, the movie, uh, rode that wave uh, and became the the best selling uh, faith movie uh, of 2012 and 2013. And uh, it, too, is having an impact. And, and, the, and the stories, you know, when I read The Harbinger, um, I read it with great interest. Uh, but I wanted to, you know, what, what was lacking for me, I was, I was afraid people would say, gee, this is an interesting story, and miss that it was all true, that these things actually happened. And what I wanted to do was to make a documentary so people could actually see them happening. Because it, without seeing, some people won't believe. And, and, and I had to see, you know, these things happening before my eyes to, to believe it. It is, it's, it is quite remarkable. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's right there in front of you, and you almost begin to question, you know, is this real? Is this happening? Is this unfolding the way... Uh, you know, it's, it, it has been foretold. Let's, let's begin. Uh, let, let me just remind uh, listeners, Joseph Farah, the founder, editor of WorldNetDaily.com, is uh, with us, and he is the producer of a new documentary, The Isaiah 910 Judgment. Now, let's begin. Wh- what does Isaiah 910 actually say, Joseph? Well, um, you know, I had read those words, I'm sure, um, hundreds of times. You know, I'm pretty 
prolific uh, Bible reader, and um, I, I had not really understood the significance of these words until Jonathan's teaching, but it's very simple. It says, the bricks are falling down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. What it's about, the, the, the historical context here, is that um, the northern kingdom of Israel, you know, remember it's the, the, the Jewish states divided into two uh, separate entities. Uh, Israel, ancient Israel, was um, falling into decay and decadence faster than the, than the nation of Judah, uh, where Jerusalem was. And, um, and it, it was, God was, you know, God was going to judge uh, Israel. And he, when he judges nations, especially, you know, a nation he founded and and he gave the scriptures to um, is going to be judged harshly, but they're given a chance to repent many times. And um, God uses other nations to judge uh, Israel and to judge other nations as well. Sometimes they're very evil nations. And he used the evil nation of Assyria to launch what was a limited strike, if you will, into the heart of the nation of Israel. And of course what God wanted to happen was that Israel would see this attack and, and repent of its evil ways, to turn to paganism and so forth, and, uh, and turn back to him. But instead of doing that, what they said was, and this is what Isaiah 9:10 is reflecting, is we don't need God. We're going to rebuild better and bigger and stronger. Uh, in our own strength, okay? We don't need God. God was not part of the equation for them. And ultimately, they were judged and destroyed and dispersed uh, throughout the nations as a result of that. All right, I'm going to jump in here, Joseph. Uh, we'll uh, take a time out, come back on the other side. Joseph Farah, founder, editor of WorldNetDaily.com, the producer of the Isaiah 9:10 Judgment. Is there an ancient mystery that foretells America's future? Back with more in a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back. Isaiah 9:10. The bricks have fallen, but we will build with we will rebuild with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. It's a rather obscure passage uh, from the uh, the Old Testament, from the Prince of Prophets, Isaiah. Uh, is there a connection between that? ancient prophecy, and what's happening in the United States, certainly since 9-11, the events of 9-11. Joseph Farah is with us, the uh, producer of the Isaiah 9-10 Judgment, the CEO and founder of WorldNetDaily.com. Uh, so let's, let's uh, talk about that, um, that passage. The bricks have fallen, but we will rebuild with dressed stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put cedars in their place. Yeah. Now, what could that possibly have to do with the United States? Exactly. Well, it didn't take me long to figure this out. All I had to see was the day after 9-11, and think of what 9-11 is. 9-11 is a limited strike on the United States of America. Terrible blow, but, you know, it was not the end of the United States of America by any stretch of the imagination. Initial breach of security. Exactly, and and, and I believe it now. Now I believe this. I, I didn't know it back then when it happened, but I do believe that it was a warning from God, that he wanted us to turn back to him and his ways. And, and what happened the day after 9-11, a speech was given uh, 
nationally, publicly televised. It was given by the uh, Senate Majority Leader at that time, Tom Daschle, who was chosen, I guess, by President Bush to give this uh, important speech to the nation. And and Tom Daschle, um, you know, uh, finishes his speech by saying, you know, at times like this, uh, we can take comfort, and I'm paraphrasing now, uh, from the words in Isaiah. And he reads Isaiah 9:10, thinking that these are words of comfort. Apparently, that we're just we're going to rebuild, you know, bigger and better. We're going to come back stronger. That's essentially what that verse is telling us. Um, and you know, and I, you know, I was a newsman on 9/11. I, I, you know, I'm sure I saw that speech when it happened. If I did, I didn't even catch the significance of of the misuse of that quote. Because I mean, here you have a, a leader, uh, a very significant leader, giving a, a speech to a joint session of Congress on national television, and it's the same response, word for word, that the leaders of ancient Israel gave, as noted in Isaiah 9:10, when they chose to ignore God, ignore the need for repentance, ignore the fact that God was calling them back, ignore the need for humility and reflection. And he gave essentially the same arrogant and defiant response without knowing, I don't think he knew what he was doing, that the children of Israel gave to rebuke God's warning and rely instead on their own resourcefulness, their own strength. And when they literally pronounced judgment on themselves and their nation. And that's what Tom Daschle did the day after 9-11. Now, that got my attention. And we should, and, just uh, Joseph, for those just joining us, we should point out that the parallel here is that uh, that uh, uh, um, not Judah, but the, the kingdom to the north, uh, Sumeria, Mm-hmm. Uh, had been attacked, uh, invaded by the Assyrians. We're talking about what eighth century BC, right? And the Assyrians. I mean, they were a, they were a, their warriors were pretty. Uh, I guess you could call them terrorists. I mean, they yeah, they, they would they attack were, they civilians. Terrorism. Uh, there's no question about that. They they ruthless, you know, they ruthless. They didn't just destroy their enemy. They humiliated them. They they beheaded them. They were tortured them. They were ruthless. And, uh, and and they are the precursors of the kinds of terrorists that America is facing today. In fact, you know, they come from the same part of the world. Uh, they spoke a language that has uh, is the closest language, ancient language, to modern Arabic that there is today. And then you turn around and you look at the people who attacked us. They come from the same place. They speak a language that's very similar. And um, And they are terrorists. Okay, so the uh, the nine um, eleven attacks the the day after I believe it was Tom Daschle uh, in the Senate uh, utters this passage from Isaiah nine ten, not realizing that it's it was uh, you know a defiance of God. It was uh, it was the uh, the Sumerians being incredibly arrogant, snubbing their nose at God, saying, "We don't need you. We will rebuild all on our own without God." But the par- but the parallels don't end there. Oh no, not by a long shot. This is just the beginning. In fact, this is this becomes a familiar refrain by national leaders that are they're still taking place today. I mean, we can barely chronicle them. But uh, another good example is on the fourth anniversary 
of 9-11, another speech is given in Washington by another national leader uh, that, uh, uh, by the name of uh, John Edwards, who, who was a U.S. senator at the time. I'm sorry, it was the third anniversary of 9-11. And he was uh, the vice presidential candidate uh, for John Kerry at the time. So it was a very significant speech. Now, he builds his whole speech around Isaiah 9:10. Literally, everything he says, he says, let's go, you know, on, on this day, let's go to see what the Lord has to say to us. And he quotes uh, Isaiah 9:10, and he builds his whole speech is framed around that. And, uh, and 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 it goes from there. Uh, the, 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 another significant one is when Barack Obama is uh, sworn in as president and gives in his inaugural address gives a speech that is entirely reminiscent of Isaiah 9:10. The key to the whole speech is we will rebuild, we will come back stronger, and uh, it, it's literally it's almost like you know a a. What the commentaries say about Isaiah 9:10, it's word for word what Obama says in his inaugural address. And as you and you point out in the documentary, there's a there's a clip from Donald Trump. I remember this very distinctly after 9/11, and uh, you know the mayor uh, Rudolph Giuliani in New York. They were all saying the same thing: We're going to build this tower. We're going to build it one floor higher than the last time. We're going to we're going to control the New York skyline, not the terrorists. You know, we are the masters of our own destiny. Uh, so again, yes, this hubris, this uh, no repentance, no introspection. You know, why did this happen? Is there something that we're doing? None of that. Um, but you mentioned the utterance by uh, by John uh, Edwards, uh, the vice president presidential candidate at the time. Uh, but let's go back and, and we get back into now uh, uh, Rabbi Khan's uh, uh, book, The Harbinger, mm-hmm. and some of the earlier. Uh, harbingers, uh, for example, the harbinger. That, I mean, the first words in the in nine, uh, Isaiah nine ten: "The bricks have fallen." Uh, let's walk us through the the, the first several uh, harbingers yeah. here. That starting it's with the very, bricks. Very, very good idea. Uh, the bricks have fallen. Well, you know, on nine eleven, bricks fell. <laughs> Literal bricks fell, and um, you know, and as you know, as Dashiell was speaking those words. Keep in mind, uh, the dust had not cleared yet from ground zero uh, in New York City. And we really didn't even understand the devastation of what was going on at that point. But yet, um, you know, he's using those words. And, you know, when they were cleaning up the mess, there were actual bricks uh, from the, the, the destruction there. Uh, and, uh, and and what do we, what is the... What is the response? Well, we're going to build with hewn stone. Well, hewn stone, the, the, actual, the actual Hebrew word there is gazit, a gazit stone. And a gazit stone is something that's carved out of uh, a granite, big blocks. In other words, you know, we're not going to build with bricks again. We're going to build with, uh, with uh, sizable stones and and that's exactly what the intent was, you know, of the new, um, the new World Trade Center that has been built now and is complete in New York City now. But back a few years ago, before the construction even began, 
what they did, the leaders of the city, the business leaders and so forth, they got together and they uh, dedicated to building bigger and stronger by bringing in a gigantic, I don't know how much it weighed, tons, uh, a piece of granite carved out of uh, the Adirondack Mountains in New York and you know, brought it to the site of destruction and placed it there. And this, and it was inscribed with, with a message about how, you know, that this is uh, an illustration of how we're going to rebuild bigger and stronger. And speeches were given by the mayor, governor, governor of New Jersey, bunch of people. The theme of that dedication was the same theme we're talking about. We will rebuild. We will build stronger and better and higher. And that, again, that message. I can give you countless dozens and dozens of examples that have happened since the movie came out, since the book came out, of leaders who have been making this same pronouncement over and over again. In fact, the new World Trade Center is the, at the very top of that World Trade Center building now, uh, is a, a brick that Barack Obama actually inscribed with these words, we will rebuild uh, bigger and stronger. And that's at the very, you know, and the, the pledge was to build higher. That's exactly what we did. Joseph Farah is with us, the founder, CEO of WorldNetDaily.com and the producer of the Isaiah 910 uh, Judgment. I really want to talk about uh, the sycamore uh, because uh, prior to, uh, to watching this documentary, I had no idea how, how important a symbol uh, the sycamore tree is uh, to the very foundation uh, uh, of of the United States and particularly the heart of the economic uh, center in in New York City, the sycamore That's right. tree. And it's also very significant as the nation of Israel, because the sycamore is also a fig tree, and of course you know we we identify Israel with, with really two trees. You identify Israel with one is the olive tree, yes, but more importantly is the fig tree. You find it all throughout the Bible references to it, and so what happened um, in the northern kingdom of Israel is when this attack came, the Assyrians destroyed the little trees. Sycamores is, uh, uh, you know, not a very big tree, not a very significant tree. Uh, they cut them down, and so kind of a scorched earth policy, right? And uh, and so the leaders of Israel say, well, big deal. We lost these sycamore trees. Um, we'll, we'll rebuild. We'll, we'll plant cedars in their place. And actually, the the word there for cedars. Um, is more appropriately a panacea tree, which is a very large tree, not necessarily a cedar, but it's an evergreen tree, big. Yeah, from the uh, conifer family. Yeah. That's right. And, and so uh, in, in New York City, you, you think, well, what could, what could the significance of a sycamore be? Would there even be a sycamore involved in the attack on 9-11? And sure enough, if you go to uh, the site of Ground Zero today, there is memorialized in bronze a sycamore tree that was uprooted uh, when these buildings came toppling down. In fact, many of your listeners would probably remember hearing about a church. Uh, they called it the Miracle Church because it was the only building on Ground Zero, literally, that was not toppled and destroyed. And 
they say that this sycamore tree that shielded the brunt of the force from, uh, you know, the, the, the tremendous force that we, uh, of, of these buildings toppling. And you can remember the, the video we all saw of what looked like, you know, a hurricane of dust and debris flying in every direction. That's what felled this sycamore tree, which has, as I said, been memorialized in bronze there. And you can visit it, as I have done with Jonathan, and it's a stunning thing to, to, to recognize. But, but then you have to ask yourself, well, surely we didn't replace that sycamore tree with a, with a panacea tree or a conifer tree, bigger and stronger. But that's exactly what we did at Ground Zero. They um, brought cranes in and they brought the, this, this tree in that fits the description, a bigger tree, an evergreen, a conifer, a panacea tree, and they planted it in the place of the fallen sycamore. And they called it the tree of hope. Uh-huh. And as an interesting note, side note, which is not in the movie or the book. Let me just get you to hold on to that. Excuse me, Joseph. We'll, we'll pick up on that on the other side. Joseph Farah, WorldNetDaily.com, The Isaiah 9, Ted Judgment, here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The Isaiah 910 Judgment. Uh, Joseph Farah is the producer of this uh, new documentary, which is based on the, uh, the research of a Messianic Jew by the name of Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. Um, and delving into this ancient mystery that um, perhaps foretells America's future and the parallels between what is happening in the United States, certainly since 9 11, uh, and what transpired in uh, then the Northern Kingdom of Sumeria. Uh, are quite startling. Now, I want to get back to the sycamore tree. I've been to, I believe it's Trinity St. Paul uh, Church in gra- at Ground Zero, and I remember seeing this this bronze statue of this sycamore, and I didn't understand the significance of it, but I do now. So here's the thing, though, that I think is even... I mean, if that's not enough, talk to me about the significance of the sycamore uh, tree in terms of, you know the uh, the financial nerve center of America and Wall Street, the sycamore tree and Wall, tr- uh, Wall Street. What's the connection there? Yeah, it's it's a very good question because really there, you know, 9-11 is just the first attack. There's another one that, that follows. And it was the, as a direct result of 9-11, we have the Wall Street crash of, uh, of, of 2001. And uh, it was devastating to the economy. And, um, and, if you go back to the uh, late 18th century, the late 1700s, um, the what we know as Wall Street today, the American Stock Exchange and the New York Stock Exchange, began in the seven, late 1700s when traders and merchants began meeting under a tree. And uh, we know that it's called today... Uh, the Buttonwood Agreement. It, the Buttonwood Agreement is what became the basis for uh, the New York Stock Exchange. And, you know, well, what is a Buttonwood tree? A Buttonwood tree is a sycamore tree. There you go. It is, in fact, that sycamore tree that was felled on 9-11. And, of course, the consequences of that were also a devastated e- economy uh, in in, in uh in the United States, which began when the stock market crashed, really just days after 
I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, outside of Central Park, you know, you're pretty hard-pressed to find a tree in Manhattan. Exactly. And of all the trees to be felled uh, during the 9-11 attacks, it's the sycamore, which arguably is the, is the symbol. It's the foundation of Wall Street, the financial center of America. Right. And, and, and if you don't mind me jumping ahead a little bit here, um, because this is also the key to the harbingers, is the significance of understanding what only a Messianic Jew could tell us about, which is the Shemitah. Um, yes, yes. The key to the harbingers is the significance of the Shemitah. The Shemitah is a Sabbath year, which happens every seven years. It happens on, uh, beginning on Elul 29 on the Hebrew calendar. And to review, on September 17, 2001, six days uh, after the uh, attack at Ground Zero, it was the beginning of the economic calamity uh, that was associated with 9-11 directly. It began with the lowering of interest rates by the Fed, resulted in the collapse of the stock market. September 17, 2001, was Elul 29 on the Hebrew calendar, believe it or not. So it was a Shemitah year that began, meaning all debts are canceled and the land is given a rest in ancient Israel. But it also means literally falling down. It means letting things fall, letting the economy fall. Don't worry about it. Debts are canceled. Um, And also significantly, Exactly seven years later, on September 29, 2008, marked the next big crash on Wall Street. September 29, 2008, fell on Elul 29, exactly seven years later on the Hebrew calendar. It was another Shemitah. So, you know, as a newsman, I look at this, and the obvious first question to me is, when is the next? Shemitah. <laughs> and if, you, if your, life, your mind works like mine, I will tell you, it's not in the book, it's not in the video, because Jonathan doesn't like to speculate about things in the future. On the Hebrew calendar, it falls every seven years on a little 29. What does that mean to those of us who use, you know, the pagan calendar? It means September 13th, 2015. Now, I don't know what's going to happen on that day, but I... To me, I think it's a date worth watching, because a clear pattern has been established. I don't believe it's a coincidence what happened in America on a little 29 in 2001 and 2008, and I think it would be foolish to ignore the possibility that a greater judgment, if you will, might be in the works, especially if America continues to kind of move in this path of denial about what God is trying to tell us. Uh, Joseph, can I get you to hold on for one more uh, one more quick segment? We'll be back. Joseph Farah, the Isaiah nine ten judgment. Stay with us. And welcome back. And we're talking about Isaiah nine ten, uh, this uh, biblical prophecy which has been decoded by Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. He's a Messianic Jew, a pastor uh, in New Jersey, uh, and he is the uh, he and his decoding work, I suppose, um, are the uh, subjects of a new documentary called The Isaiah 9-10 Judgment. It's a WorldNet Daily film, and the producer, Joseph Farah, the uh, the editor and the CEO and founder of WorldNetDaily.com, is uh, with us discussing this. Now, we were talking about um, the, the, the Shemitah, which is every seven years 
uh, or debts are forgiven. Now, in a time of, I guess, plenty and, and when things are going well, you know, this is uh, the Shemitah is a good thing. I mean, you're, yes, you're, forgiving, you're forgiving debts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you are under judgment, when the nation is being judged by God, uh, then, then it's obviously it's got a very negative connotation. It's a it's a it's a falling away, or uh, obviously uh, coinciding with two economic cataclysms. One one which was precipitated by the nine eleven attacks, uh, September seventeenth, of course, stock market crash, uh, and then go ahead seven years, and it falls again on the precise day of the next shemitah, September twenty ninth, two thousand and eight, the biggest crash in Wall Street history. Uh, and I believe, uh, you know, we're talking, we're working in all these number sevens. Didn't the market actually fall that day, seven hundred and seventy-seven points? That's right. <laughs> in case the message didn't resonate. Yeah, how many times do you have to be, you know, hit over the head? Yeah. Uh, but I want to, I want to dial it back to, um, uh, to, uh, to King Solomon, and uh, because he was sort of warning, uh, warning his people that if they didn't, you know carry on the straight and narrow and, and live according to God's laws, that this sort of judgment would, would happen. And talk to me about, yeah, again, actually, the parallel... At, at, at the consecration of the, the first temple, um, Solomon is praying to God. He, he's consecrating his nation to God. Really, this is like, this is like the, real, the real birth of Israel takes place when the temple is finally built, finished, and consecrated to God. And God speaks to Solomon, uh, and he tells him uh, that, you know, uh, Solomon wants to know, well, what happens if, you know, inevitably we start to stray from you, and, you know, and, and he asks God, what, what is the answer to that? And there's a very famous answer that anybody who's, a, you know, a student of the Bible um, can remember, found in Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear their prayers and forgive their sin and heal their land. That's the prescription that God gives to Solomon at that very scene. And, of course, there's a principle that Jonathan Kahn talks about in the Harbinger and in Isaiah 9:10 judgment, which is that the judgment always comes back to the point of consecration which ultimately, you know, in the case of the southern kingdom uh, of Judah, uh, followed the, the fall of the northern kingdom, uh, and by the way, it was a direct result of not uh, following the Shemitah, by the way. That's why Judah was exiled for 70 years, um, because they didn't, uh, they didn't follow the, the law of the Shemitah. Now, what, what about the United States? What does that mean to us? Well, guess what the, the point of consecration for the United States of America was? And this is the most astounding thing of all. This is going back to 1789. President, uh, new, newly minted President George Washington is being sworn in in the Capitol. Right, the Capitol, which, you know, how many Americans know that the first capital of the United States was New York City? Mm. That's where George Washington was sworn in. That's where the first Congress of the United States was sworn in. That's where the first Supreme Court of the United States was sworn in. And they were sworn in at Federal Hall, which, by the way, is just a few blocks away from 9-11. The foundation of Federal Hall was cracked by the shockwaves 
from 9-11. So that's where, that's where George Washington is sworn in. And after he's sworn in, and by the way, before being sworn in, he called uh, a, a, for a day of a prayer and fasting for that day as a, as a sign to God that the, you know, the United States of America was going to uh, follow him. And he leads a procession of the entire Congress of the United States, the Supreme Court, the executive, all three branches of government walk on foot to a little church a few blocks away. And we all know what that church was, don't we, Richard? Trinity St. Paul. That that St. Paul's church, where you can go today and see exactly where George Washington had a little uh, pew all to himself, it's still there, preserved with his Bible there, and the and the whole government of the United States went there to pray. What's even lesser known is the fact that originally that church owned all the land uh, that was destroyed, all of Ground Zero. The church owned that property at the time that George Washington was sworn in. Wow. So that's that was where George Washington essentially through their prayers, consecrated the United States of America. You got it. And as you point out, the judgment always comes back to the exact point of the consecration, the consecrated ground. Right. Just as the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem uh, by uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, there we go. I mean, this is, you know, that's what was destroyed on 9-11, and that limited strike that I believe was meant as a warning from God that our time was short if we didn't turn back and follow him. How can uh, people get a copy of uh, the Isaiah 9:10 Judgment, Joseph? Well, it's available most everywhere, uh, certainly Amazon, uh, the WND Superstore, that's where I recommend you buy it. But, <laughs> but it's uh, literally everywhere. It's in Walmarts and Sam's Clubs and every... Christian book and movie store, uh, <clears throat> and many just, you know, of the big retailers have it as well. Just a, a thought occurred to me, uh, just a, a few moments remaining here before we uh, we say goodbye, but has anyone uh, gotten a copy of this to, I don't know, Tom Daschle or John Kerry or, <laughs> not John Kerry, like, uh, you, you uh, John like Edwards? I do. The first <laughs> thing I did uh, before we made the movie, and we've even, even continued to do this ever since, is... I did everything in my power to reach out to Dashiell and to John Edwards and find out why they used Isaiah 9:10 as the basis for their speech. And really, in Dashiell's case, it's the it's the punchline of his speech. In the case of Edwards, it's the foundation of his speech. Um, never, and I and I'm I'm pretty good at this. This is what I do for a living: uh, getting people on the phone or getting to answer my emails, and we have tried every uh, method I could think of, even mutual friends, attorneys that I knew who worked with them, the attorney who defended Edwards. I spoke to him, you know, in his his big trial. Uh, I said, look, I just want to have five minutes with John Edwards, and here's what I want to talk about. The problem is they know what I want to talk about, and I think everybody knows about, you know, Isaiah 9:10 at this point, and I think it's a very difficult uh, question for them to answer. Is it is it too late? Do you think? I, I mean, uh, is as the die been cast? Is the is now the United States going to uh, 
essentially feel the wrath of God. I think the hour is late. Um, I, I wish I could say I saw more repentance and reflection uh, than I think the kind that God wanted us to, to have after that attack. But look at the tremendous success of the Harbinger and the Isaiah 9:10 judgment. They have reached millions of people, millions of people. I mean, you know, if people have seen this movie or read the book, they know what we're talking about here. They feel it. They see it clearly. And that's what I think is so important. I don't believe, you know, it, I used to think about that Second Chronicles 7.14 verse, and I used to think, wow, that's a tall order. It's a tall order because I, I used to think it meant, wow, you know, America would have to all collectively get down on our knees and start repenting. But that's not what it says. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, so it's just to believers. If believers do this, it will save America. It will, our nation will be healed. And that's the key. Can that happen? Is that too much to ask, that believers get a clear picture of what God is telling us today? I don't think that's so uh, out of the question. You know, it's uh, it's it's funny that not funny, but I I get the sense. I think a lot of people have this sense that things are coming to what my father used to call an acute angle. Yeah. Uh, um, Billy Graham, uh, of course, ninety three, ninety four years old, and his sort of last letter to America again, war- making the same kind of warnings. Time for America to repent, and he he quoted his late wife Ruth. Uh, who said, um, if God doesn't judge America, then God owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's, that's something to think about. Yes, indeed. Because there's nothing that Sodom and Gomorrah didn't do that we, we are not doing. That's the point. Well, Joseph, listen, uh, thank you for spending uh, some time with us tonight. Congratulations on the Isaiah 9-10 judgment, and uh, I continue to enjoy uh, WorldNet Daily immensely. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Great being with you. All Have right. Fun. Joseph Farah. All right. Now, um, we mentioned that the, uh, the documentary uh, based largely, uh, almost solely, really, on the, on the, uh, the, the research of uh, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, this Messianic Jew who sort of decoded Isaiah 9, 10 judgment. And uh, Jonathan, we tried to get to Jonathan Kahn on the program tonight, wasn't able to, but we will, hopefully, in the coming weeks. I'd like to get Jonathan on before uh, Christmas. Not necessarily to talk about the Isaiah nine ten judgment, although that may come into it, but he has some amazing insights into not only biblical prophecy, uh, but uh, as we again approach Christmas season, uh, some amazing evidence that Jesus Christ was not born on December twenty fifth. I think we all sort of had that sense, but he's actually pretty well has it down to the day the month and the day, and he can uh, walk us through that. So uh, we'll get uh, Jonathan Kahn on the program as quickly as possible. Uh, many of you still emailing saying, what's going on with richardserrett.com? Uh, I've got a team out in Nova Scotia, actually, uh, uh, working on it day and night to get a, the uh, the new, improved richardserrett.com up and running. So look for that. As always, say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. Follow the truth. Welcome, friends. Good to have you aboard. Just a heads up, what's coming up on the program? A little bit uh, later, towards what we call in the radio biz as the bottom of the hour, uh, our good friend Victor Vigiani will be uh, with us. 
Now, you know Victor, uh, who's a frequent guest on the program, whenever we delve into uh, the UFO extraterrestrial arena, uh, Victor is usually riding shotgun on this program. And uh, uh, Victor is going to join us by Skype a little bit later. Victor, as it turns out, is quite the investigative journalist. And what he has uncovered, uh, well, this is actually has been ongoing for several years, but I guess through the Freedom, Freedom of Information Act, uh, he has obtained a number of uh, NORAD documents uh, which tend to suggest or tend to support the idea that uh, Canadian Air Force uh, fighter jets have engaged UFOs. And uh, for the first time uh, tonight, he's going to, uh, to go public with those documents. Uh, so that'll be a little bit later. Uh, before we get to that, and, uh, and coming up just sh- shortly, do you remember uh, uh, the back of comic books? You used to uh, see these ads for uh, X-ray goggles. I always remember that. Uh, they used to uh, uh, have this ad, and if you sold, there was a, a newsletter back then. It was called Grit. And if you sold, uh, you could, uh, you could uh, basically become a grit carrier or a, a, uh, a distributor. And if you sold uh, enough grit newsletters, you would earn enough money to buy these x-ray goggles. And what adolescent boy <laughs> didn't want a pair of x-ray goggles? Uh, I'll let you sort of connect the dots there. Of course, they never worked. Uh, but we have uh, a gentleman... Uh, standing by, who is the real uh, deal when it comes to X-ray eyes? They call him the man with X-ray eyes, and uh, uh, he's been a frequent guest and a good friend of this program for many, many years. And he's standing by. Uh, in just a moment before we, before we get that coming up next week on the program, I think this is very important. I want to talk to you about it. It's uh, the government's, the U.S. government apparently has this secret plan to shut off cell phones and the internet, and uh, this month. Uh, the United States District Court for the District of Columbia ruled that the Department of Homeland Security must make its plan to shut off the Internet and cell phone communications available to the American public. And you're saying, wait a minute, there's a, they have a plan to shut off the Internet and cell phone communication? Yes, they do. And they've been keeping it a secret. Uh, but a number of um, intrepid reporters, again, through the uh, Freedom of Information Act, have been uh, trying to get the Department Department of Homeland Security to release details about this plan, but nobody knows anything about it. But it's called a kill switch. And a, a kill switch is uh, a, the government has this authority to disconnect commercial and private wireless networks affecting both cell phones and the Internet in the event of an emergency, such as a viable threat of a terrorist attack. Oh, where have we heard that before? Right? Do the terms false flag, does the term false flag mean anything to you? So here we have, now I don't know what the technology would be involved, but we're going to find out next week on the program. How would such a kill switch work? Is there some sort of big red button that uh, President Obama could uh, push to turn off the wireless networks in the United States and by extension perhaps here in Canada? So, what is this plan, this secret plan to shut off cell phones and the internet? And why is the Department of Homeland Security going to court to, to prevent them having to reveal the, this information to the public? So we'll discuss that uh, next week on the program. 
All right, back to the man with X-ray eyes. Uh, boy, I, I think I've known uh, Douglas James Cottrell for probably 20 years, uh, going back to my days as a, a producer in talk radio, and he's been a, certainly a mainstay of this program. He is, of course, uh, a remote viewer, but he's also a medical intuitive, uh, and hence the name of the man with X-ray eyes. Uh, he's also an accomplished uh, author, The Secrets of Life, and um, The Law of One, which we've uh, talked about recently on the program. And he's also the author of um, the, Re- the New Renaissance, A Prophecy of 2012 and Beyond, which has been published now in, in I think, a dozen languages or so. Anyway, it's great to have our good friend, Douglas James Cottrell, back on the program. Hello, Douglas. It's always a pleasure to be here, Richard. This is a fantastic show tonight, listening to the previous guests and all the revelations in Isaiah and what's happening with the, with the world and what I'm talking about as far as uh, some of the predictions I've made on your show about uh, the oceans heating up and the uh, North Pole slipping around and uh, the ice caps melting and all those things. It looks like yeah, doom and gloom, but uh, it's a, fascinated, uh, a fascinating opinion when you see in, in Bible uh, prophecy that these things have been predicted and... America is following in the footsteps uh, of those prophecies. Just amazing. We've had you on many times in the capacity of a remote viewer, uh, where you've 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 talked about uh, Earth changes and and um, and so forth. Uh, But we haven't, uh, in quite a while, had you on in the capacity of of a medical intuitive. Now, what is exactly what is a medical intuitive? Well, it's a term that's recently come up uh, in the last few years, which means somebody has the ability intuitively to see a person's health condition. Like Edgar Casey or Ross Peterson or Paul Solomon or even myself over the last 40 years, it's almost 40 years now since I've started, uh, there is this ability to intuitively uh, look forward, uh, first of all, to see the future, second of all, to uh, look into somebody's uh, body and be able to see what's going on. And clairvoyance is the uh, talent, meaning clear seeing. And so um, the term medical uh, intuitive has has been bounced around for a long time, which means that intuitive people would be able to say, oh, I see you have a problem with your heart or you have a problem with uh, some other part of your body. And they make a medical, this is not a correct term, but they make a medical diagnosis, uh, which is a loose term for really clairvoyance. I don't diagnose anyone. What I do is I see into their body, and it was a long time ago when I think it was Ron Knight up in Richmond Hill that uh, tagged that label on me, the man with x-ray eyes, when I was doing a show a long time ago. It was in my early 20s back then. But the idea is that uh, people call, and we've done many shows here uh, over the last, and we haven't done, as you say, recently, where people would call up from your audience, which are thousands and thousands of people, and with somebody saying their name, John or Mary or whatever, I would be able to look at them in a remote viewing, mind-projecting kind of way and be able to see inside their body. And I would say, oh, I see a problem here, I see a problem there. It's awfully and dark in there. What do you, I mean, what exactly sometimes. do you see? How do you see? Well, I do you see organs and flesh? And mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, you're hitting a nail on the head. Recently, in the last couple of months, something's changed which my power or ability to see clearer is enhanced. And when you apply the telekinetic ability to uh, move bones, uh, to do spiritual healing, if you will, or energy healing, as they say, you can see clearly inside a body, and you can also uh, affect the body by this energy that, for lack of a better term, 
this life energy that you're able to project with imagery and with skill, which is what I'm going to be showing people at our upcoming conference here in Toronto in a couple of weeks, that anyone can develop disability. But you're right. Sometimes it's dark inside a body, and sometimes it's very illuminous. I was looking in a lady's uh, abdomen the other day. She was complaining why she was having uh, a lot of pain in her stomach. And I could see an ulcerated condition where I saw the lining of the stomach uh, had been re uh, had dis uh, dissolved. And I could actually see the muscle and the red blood or red redness of blood in the body. Now, again... This is not gory, but it can be. It's not for the squeamish, but it, it, it sort of comes upon you as you start to see things. It's like looking through, you know, that beer commercial where they have several glasses in a row and yes. you can't see clearly. Well, it's like taking them in reverse. You take one away until eventually you can see clearer, more clear, and eventually you're looking specifically at, at uh, an organ as if you're looking at a picture. And this is the ability I have. And for me, it's like a movie. I don't and you're saying that anybody can learn to do this? Yes, anybody can do it. Now, some people are naturally capable. Other people have to strive uh, to, to uh, accomplish this. And there are some people in society who cannot see in, in their mind, they cannot see a vision, but they can feel things. So those people, this is the test. Uh, if, if I say to the audience, can you see uh, the Eiffel Tower in your mind, in your mind's eye? If you can see that then you have the capability of, uh, of developing your clairvoyance. For those people who can't, they have the capability of developing their clairsentience, which is their feeling. You know, I feel hot, I feel cold, I feel worried, something's wrong, I feel whatever. This goes into premonition and precognition, uh, where clairvoyance goes into prediction and prophecy. And this is what I'm teaching people and have for a long time. We have our Many Mansion Spiritual Center in Hamilton, which is a, a huge organization. We're almost ready for the official opening uh, because of all the upgrades we've had to do to the building. Uh, but people have over the years in all the countries I've traveled to, and I've traveled extensively in Norway and Spain and, and, and Poland and different places across the U.S., and I'm back here in Canada now starting a tour to teach people, to show people that you can develop these abilities. The clairsentient abilities, the feeling abilities, the telekinetic ability to be able to move wands or pendulums. But those are the indicators. The real thing is to be able to affect a physical body. Somebody had a whiplash in Spain a couple of days ago. I could see very clearly two bones, the second or third bone in the top and the third or fourth or fifth bone in the bottom. can't remember which one. But I was able to push my fingers through the air. This might even look magical, but it's not. It's, it's recorded in the Bible. This is how spiritual healing at a distance occurs. And I was able to put the bones back in place, the top bone in line with the others and the bottom one back in line. And it was confirmed. The day before, the lady went and had an x-ray and saw a physician. And the day after this healing, which was the third day after, the bones were back in place. She had confirmation of it. We were talking earlier about uh, the previous uh, host here, George. Uh, we did, he had a, a similar healing a long time ago. Wait, yes, we'll take a time out. We'll come back. We'll talk about uh, our good old uh, friend, George Genescu, uh, whose uh, program precedes mine uh, here on our flagship station, AM740. He's on his way up the uh, Highway 404 to his home in, uh, near Barrie, listening to this program. And, yeah, we'll take you back to uh, something that happened on this program several years ago. Uh, that sort of demonstrates uh, your point. Douglas James Cottrell, the man with x-ray eyes, 
Canada's Edgar Casey. Uh, we'll open up the phone lines as well. And uh, we're not doing medical diagnosis here. As always, consult your doctor. We don't have a disclaimer, so I'll say it. Uh, but with X-ray eyes, can uh, remotely peer into your body and perhaps uh, tell you what might be ailing you. We'll do that when we come back. The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. And welcome back. Douglas James Cottrell is uh, with us, the man with X-ray eyes, Canada's Edgar Casey, the author of The Secrets of Life, and also uh, The New Renaissance, A Prophecy for 2012 and Beyond, which has been uh, now translated into a number of uh, languages, Spanish, Portuguese, French. Uh, and uh, Douglas uh, is here in the capacity of, of a medical intuitive. And um, if you'd like to call in, he can peer remotely inside your body and, and let you know what's what's going on in there and maybe what you need to be uh, concerned about. Again, not a medical diagnosis and consult your physician. Uh, also, I want to point out that Douglas uh, will be here in Toronto December the 14th from 2 to 5 p.m. giving live demonstrations of telepathy and telekinesis. Plus, uh, we'll be inviting your questions and your intuitive impressions. That's at the Holiday Inn downtown, 30 Carlton Street at Young. $75 in advance, $100 at the door. To reserve tickets, call 905-393-5104. 905-393-5105. Or just log on to douglasjamescottrell.com. December 14th, 2 to 5 p.m. The Secrets to Perceiving the Future and Developing Your ESP. All right. Uh, Tony is in Brampton. Hello, Tony. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hello, Richard and Douglas. Hi, Tony. How are you? Well, so far we're doing okay, I think. Good. All right. Now, how does this work? Do you, do you need any more from uh, no, from him, or can you just tell Tony what he needs to know? Well, ask me a question, Tony. What do you, what do you okay, want to know? Okay, I suffer from Crohn's disease. Is there anything you can do about that? Okay, well, let me look in my back and my mind and see. Uh, my uh, attention immediately goes to your back. You have uh, uh, some, it looks like the vertebrae in your back are almost like stacked, like blocks one on top of the other. And that tells me that the nerve flows going from the back around the front are into the intestine are working. You have a bile problem. It looks like it's almost like cake inside your intestine that I'm looking at. And I think that uh, your diet needs to be more of a Mediterranean one, and you need a lot of grape juice, uh, mixing the grape juice two ounces with two ounces of water, and taking that before food's ingested will help you. You have a you have one of those blood types that, that uh, have great difficulty in moving food through the intestine, but it comes from your back. I'm looking at uh, from the, the last dorsal to most of the lumbars in your back, almost like they're just like a straight line, which they should be in a nice passive curve, and that seems to be their problems coming. You also have some uh, palpations in your heart, and the dryness in your throat or what's going on in your throat is... Uh, um, not really related to the Crohn's, but it's got something to do with it. You have some infection in your ear or throat, and it's just red in my in my eye. Does that sound pretty close to what's going on? Yes, thank you very much. Okay, so... Let me, let me, if I could just jump in here, for this is fascinating. So, Tony, the, yeah. the, uh, the, the spine, it, is that true? Do you have back problems? Uh, lower back problems, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's... From my, an old Air Force injury. Oh, uh, and could that, do you, have you been told that that might be related to your Crohn's disease or no, there's a connection? Not probably not, Richard, no. No. He needs to see an osteopath, which is a passive way to uh, get the bones, get the muscles to relax. Because the muscles hold the body together and the bones hold the body apart. The trouble is the tendons sneak up on us and they shrink. And when they shrink, it's really hard to get them separate. You need good massage using, you know, which, which Tony could do with castor oil and heat packs and infrared light. 
but needs to see an osteopath, chiropractor would hurt, and that'll start the nerve flows. And the next thing I'm looking at, because these images come very fast when I see people, is that you need to go into some uh, whirlpool, uh, uh, whirlpool with apple cider vinegar in there to get the nerve flows stimulating. Your problem is that nerves are not carrying the messages from the medullum and cerebellum or the upper back of the brain because you have also some difficulties in the top two bones in your neck and your head's tilted back a little in my vision. So you're, you're messed up a little bit, Tony, but uh, uh, osteopath, chiropractor, massage, whirlpool, anything to get those muscles freed up will let the nerve flow start. But look at a Mediterranean diet or a Vietnamese-type diet and drink a lot of uh, uh, red wine or watered-down uh, grape juice. And this will help the, the digestion. All right, Tony and Brampton, thank you for that. Now, thank you very much. You're, you're welcome, again, Tony. Good you know, luck. You're not a medical doctor, uh, so we we ask listeners to consult their uh, their medical doctors. But where does this information come to you? You're throwing around words like you know uh, lumbar and cerebellum, and you have no medical training. So is this coming from the Akashic Record, or where does this come from? Well, when I listen to you, Richard, and you know I've said this before, you're an amazing host. I don't know where you get the vocabulary you do, and you're able to pull things out of the air. It's because of your experience and your your capabilities. I'm not that intellectual a person, but over 40 years of dealing with people like Edgar Casey or Ross Peterson and and finding out about what's going on, you get the terms because the readings would say this or that, you know, uh, adiosyncrome valve here, or large intestine there, and, and you you find these terms out. And so they come by mind because they're in memory. It's not a training, but it's a memory. And so when I'm looking at these different things, it's like, Flash, 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 flash. In the old days, it used to be flash, <laughs> one, two, three, flash, one, two, three. And you'll see that same ability with psychic people who are trying to, they're almost like they're, you know, they're, they're, they're having a, uh, some gut-wrenching movement. They're trying to, like, pull things out of the air. It's so difficult for them to start with. Uh, indeed, it is. It's a matter of getting past the rational mind, which is your logic, intellectual uh, reasoning and uh, factors in your brain, your personality. But after you get by that, and they come very quickly, in 40 years now. So I'm, I'm pulling terms out because my mind is going around like Tony's body. My attention is scanning him. He once told me that before. It's like we're scanning people. And I think it was a long time ago on your show where there was a lady standing in a doorway and I was looking at her and she reported later that it felt like a, a heat beam going from down her body from her head to her toes and then back up. And then I asked her, uh, if she was standing in a doorway with a phone on the wall back in the old days when we had hardware f- phones, and she said, yes, she was. And then I said, who are the people around the corner? And I could see a beer bottle. And with that, we heard, oh, my God, he's looking at us or something. Right, right. And the bottle fell off the, the table. So it's remote viewing, but it's right there. And it seems to be the person's name attaches, uh, my attention goes there. And then I just follow my attention. My attention goes through the body, as we did with Tony. It jumped all over, and he confirmed he had all these difficulties. All right. Is it Walter in uh, London? Walter, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. You're on the air. Yes, hello. Hi there. Hi, Walter. How are you? So far, okay. What can I do for you tonight, Walter? Well, I'm getting up to an age, but my health's been good. I'm suffering from uh, rosacea, and I'm concerned about inflammation. It's just in the news all the time now. You're in, I didn't quite get that. Cause Concerned about inflammation. Inflammation, and you're, and you're talking about leaky gut syndrome. Is that what you're referring to? Because that's where my attention goes. I'm sorry? Leaky gut syndrome. is uh, My attention goes to your abdomen. I see. And uh, throughout your body, I, I think you could do things like the, like slippery elm tea to help uh, stop gap the intestine. Uh, you look across your shoulders, looks really stiff, and they're red. 
I'm looking at the, and also dark in your neck. So I'm getting really poor blood supply, blood flow in your upper body and also into your legs. And your feet look like they're like cartoon, like your toes are really big. You have problems in the toes? I'm sorry? Do you have problems in your feet or toes? No, not really. No. Okay, well, they're ballooning up in my in my image or my mind here. Mm-hmm. And that would take me to some sort of effect that you have uh, either gout developing or circulation or lymph. You know, usually when you see feet expand, it's, it's a... Um, uh, circulation? It's, well, circulation and, uh, and a lymph system problem. Well, go uh, to my family. Okay, well, I'm picking this up. You might not be aware of it, but, uh, you know, this is where my attention is going now. I always follow my attention and spit out. And this edema in your legs might be what I'm looking at, like a fluid condition. Right. However, uh, inflammation in your body, castor oil massages for the upper back. And uh, I'm also looking at somebody pressing on the back in a certain way. Uh, like a chiropractor, but they've got their hands going up and down your spine in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So I would think some sort of shiatsu or, or some other specialized massage for that. All right, thank you. All right, okay. uh, Walter, uh, thank you very much for that. We, 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 before we get to the back to the phones, we were going to talk about uh, our, my colleague here, George Genescu. And um, uh, he, one night, uh, this was going back a couple of years ago, uh, you came into the studio and we noticed that George was hobbling around and uh, I well, can't remember. Well, more like more like you noticed. I didn't see him actually. That's right. That's right. He left before you arrived. Right. And George was hobbling around, and I said to George, I think he had was something in his knee or in his back. I can't remember. I think it was his back. Well, you said something wrong with his leg. You noticed he was walking down the hall on you uh, hallway, and you saw him limping. That's right. So that's I asked where we him. Started. That's right. So I asked. I said, George, what's what's wrong? And he, you know, oh, I've got this horrible leg problem or back problem. This is going back a, a few years. I'm a little foggy. So I said, well, just luck would have it. I, I have my good friend Douglas James Cottrell coming in, and he's a remote viewer, and he's a medical intuitive, and maybe uh, you know I can get him to send out some healing energy to you. And George kind of said, oh, sure, that'd be great, ha, ha, ha. So George gets in his car after his show, and he's driving up the, the 404 on his way home, and it takes him a, a, you know, a good hour to get up there. And uh, usually he listens to me to keep him awake, Mm-hmm. While he's driving home, now George is no spring chicken. He's you know he's going to be 80, 80 years old. So you come in and I you sit down in the chair and we turn the mics on and I explain the situation with George and I said, would you mind sending out some some healing energy? George is having problems with his leg or his back, and so you did live on the air. Now I didn't know at the time, but George wasn't listening to the show that night. His son had called him on his cell phone. And uh, I guess maybe I'm telling tales out of school. You're not supposed to be talking on your cell phone. He had hands-free. Yeah, it was hands-free, of course. Of course. Yeah, it, was, it was a big loss. So he didn't, he didn't hear that you were in the studio talking to them. But all of a sudden, the next week, uh, the next week George reported back to me. He said, I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, the weirdest thing happened. I felt this burning sensation in my back, and I thought I was having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. He pulled his car over to the side of the highway, got out, and was in a bit of a panic. He thought, this is it. Uh, and then the the pain, that burnt, not a pain, but that burning sensation subsided. The next thing he knew, the well, pain in his back and his leg were gone. And he continued on home. And then I told him, you know, when I saw him that week, I said, well, well didn't you hear Douglas was in the studio? He sent out that healing energy to you. And he said, I didn't hear the show. I was on the phone with my son on the way home. And when I told him what you did, he fell out of his chair. 
Well, I recall that you asked me to uh, send uh, some energy to him, and we started off in the back of his uh, neck and shoulders, and we sent, uh, had my hands in the air like I am now, and sending this energy out, just, just like biblical times. Uh, all the saints are in the, in the temples. You see them with their hands up and their shoulders, so I have my hands up like that. And we're sending energy out, and we started off in his neck and shoulders. We went down his spine to his pelvis, and I was said, you know, the sending heat there. And, of course, with the people who are listening, it amplifies the energy, the power, if you will. And this is what I said. I saw this, this energy going down. And the next time I saw George is what he said. He had this terrible pain or this, this warm feeling in the top of his shoulders and went down his spine to his hips. And that's when he told us uh, that he was having his heart attack. But the most important thing was this was an actual miracle. Uh, he was far away. He didn't know what was happening. Uh, I was on the air live doing this. The pain went away permanently. Even till today when we mentioned hello today, he said the pain has never come back in his hip. He had a genuine miracle, if there, and this was all documented on the air. All right. Uh, who do we have next, Tim? Uh, do you remember who we have coming up on the on the phones? All right. Let's just put them on the air and find out we'll who it roll is. Roll the dice. Roll the dice. <laughs> hello, sir or ma'am, you are on the air. Who Who do we have with us? Hello, caller. Hello. Hi, who is this? This is Bruce from Scarborough. Hey, Bruce from Scarborough. Welcome to the program, and uh, you're, uh, you're uh, on the line with Douglas James Cottrell. Hi. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. What can we do tonight for you, Bruce? Well, I, uh, I've been diagnosed basically with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, I've had a... I get swelling in my wrists real bad. I, my hands are starting to deform a little. My knees are... Terrible. Okay, well, my impression first goes well, to your kidneys, Bruce. You I'm have, sorry? My, inten- my attention first goes to your kidneys. It does? Uh, this is where I think the problem is in your body, and this is the place to start. You need acupuncture, or you need castor oil packs on your kidneys, because you're starting to develop that edema problem uh, that I spoke of with a previous caller. And uh, the, the problem is that your body's not getting rid of the toxins and the uh, sediments in the body. Now, one of the remedies that I recommend, again, I'm not a medical doctor, and I'm just throwing this out because it comes to my mind intuitively, is I see with black cherry juice or at least cherry juice it will help. Uh, And also I think that if you get into uh, other juices, you'll find that your body will respond very quickly. You should have vegetable juices uh, and cranberry juice as well, uh, uh, grape juice, and grape seed extract comes to my mind as well. These, these will be things to help you with your arthritic condition, but castor oil is anti-inflammatory. It's a Edgar Casey remedy. Ross Peterson and myself have recommended it almost in, well, 90% of the time for people who have really difficult situations like you are. But my attention goes to your kidneys. This is the place to start. Did go, you, did you go, say castor oil? Yeah, castor oil. Not talking about ingesting it. I'm talking about rubbing it on. <laughs> rubbing. Okay. Okay. All right, rubbing it on. Is that uh, never heard that? All right, Bruce. Make sure you consult your physician. Uh, but there you go. Go see thank a you very much. go see a skilled acupuncturist. Okay. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, now, I have to. I've always wondered since I've known you, and I may have asked you this before, but as a medical intuitive, I mean, are you able to uh, turn this off? Because let's say, for example, someone comes up to you and they want to know, you know, what's going on inside their body and you peer inside and the news is not good. Let's say their their body is just riddled with cancer. Yes. Are you able to I mean what do you what do you say to someone like well, that? Well, you know, it depends on the person and you see what's going on and you tell them what you see. There was a little girl named Sophie and she had a burst vein one night and the father came and asked uh, 
would her soul like to give up the organs in her body? And I said, she's not going to die. She's going to come out of her coma the next day, and things are going to be better. And they were. So you see, you rescue some people. Other times when you say, I don't think there's much I can do. I had a couple of fellows who are Marines, uh, ex-Marines in California, had to say to his brother the other day, I don't think that your brother's going to make it. So it's what I tell him what to see. But again, as I'm a counselor, a professional counselor for 40 years, I'm able to handle those difficult situations. All right, listen, we're, we're going to get to Victor Vigiani. Tim, if you could tell Victor Vigiani with the uh, NORAD documents, we'll be with him at, uh, in, in, a, in a few moments. I want to do one more quick segment with, uh, with Douglas. Douglas James Cottrell, Medical Intuitive, The Secrets to Perceiving the Future and Developing Your ESP here in Toronto, December 14th. I'll give you more details when we come back. The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. And uh, just a few moments remain here with uh, Victor, or, uh, Douglas James Cottrell. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network is standing by. Thank you, Victor, for your patience. We're going to talk about the uh, the NORAD documents that he's uncovered and really talk about it, uh, I suppose, in, in uh, detail for the first time in public um, uh, regarding um, Canadian jet fighters uh, in, encountering or interacting with UFOs. So uh, Douglas James Cottrell stays with us just for a few moments yet. And again... Uh, here in the capacity of a medical intuitive. And I uh, just also want to draw to your attention again, he'll be in town December 14th, 2013, 2 to 5 p.m. at the Holiday Inn downtown, 30 Carlton Street. And uh, just log on to douglasjamescottrell.com for ticket information. But um, he'll be teaching, uh, well, giving live demonstrations of telepathy and telekinesis and um, revealing the secrets to perceiving the future and developing your SP. Now, uh, I wanted to kind of a personal thing here my I have a relative uh, my mother-in-law and she has uh, a great deal of um, arthritic pain uh, she was just telling me this evening at uh, at supper you know her bones just ache terribly and I'm just wondering if uh, maybe you could send out some uh, some healing energy to her and what can you tell me what's going on there well as I uh, we briefly mentioned off the air and uh, my first impression was that uh, her diet's really bad and uh, I would suggest that she looks more, uh, again, the nutrition and assimilation of nutrition in her body is really poor. And uh, she has a weak elimination system going on. Now, I have my hands in the air like that, and I'm sending out the energy tour. And we're noting that what time it is. And, 12.37 uh, yeah, and Eastern. She, and she may be waking up right now and saying, what the heck's going on? The, the energy coming out of my hand is moderate. It's not like really fast and hard. It's just it's a moderate energy going out, and I'm going through her body. What she needs is a uh, is massage, and she needs hot and cold baths. Really, really hot and really, really cold, one after the other. And that's going to make the circulation go out to the skin surface, and it's going to go back down. This is a lady who hasn't perspired in a long time. It's a lady who's been inside a lot, and we need to get her outside. We need her getting perspiring to get the poison out of her body through perspiration. Her kidneys are a little shriveled up, so we need a lot of water going through the body. And the small intestine is really packed with a lot of stuff, fat and uh, uh, just stuff. So the problem's in the intestine. So I'm sending this energy out to her to try to get the, uh, the sediment out of it. But she needs to change her diet greatly. And, um, you know, if, she, if uh, we can get her into a situation of more um, fish, baked, boiled, or broiled, uh, no, no fatty foods, no breads, no cheeses, nothing to jam up the intestine, she'll do better because what's happening is the body's polluted. It's holding on to the, uh, uh, the sediment that should be given out. You know, when you, when you have a brand new baby 
and you give the baby breast milk or milk, and you know you see what goes in, but you say, where's all this stuff coming out? Because it's huge. This is how the body's supposed to work. And as we get older, that eliminations go smaller and smaller. And this is what your main, the main situation with your relative is. I would suggest uh, enema uh, therapy, and I would suggest a lot of uh, 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 olive oil to try to keep the body. Well, she certainly had, there's lots of olive oil. Yeah. Uh, but no cheeses, nothing like that. This is uh, all dairy products are really bad for her. Are you able to, you know, that old saying, physician heal thyself? I mean, you're not a physician, you're not a medical doctor, but, I mean, do you, are you able to... I'm in perfect health, except that I'm limping around. Too many airplanes, too many cars, football injuries, and not paying attention. I'm now getting some osteopathic adjustment for myself, and my, my, my famous limp is not going away, but I'm in an airplane for 9, 10, 12 hours at a time, and then I, when I go to different countries, I sit behind a desk, and I talk to people for 9 or 10 hours straight, and so I haven't been taking care of myself. And, and now I'm sending energy to my myself. My eyes are getting a little better. I'm 63 now, or because I'm dyslexic, I'm only 36. Actually, I'll be 64 at the end of the month. So I'm able to keep myself. I mean, I don't look like I'm 64 years old. No, no. I'm, I'm in, I'm, I have that Not heal- a day over 58. Okay. I have that healer's uh, look where it's a youthful look. You know, my hair is not white, although it's thinning. But I'm in pretty good shape. I got my teeth. I got my life. You know, I'm doing okay. But if I were to, if I were to pay more attention to more exercise, I would probably be a lot better off. But yeah, I can heal myself, and I can see what's going on. I have dreams ahead of time to eat this or do that, and uh, to pay attention to these things is is all that I need to do. But anyway, yeah, I've, I've got some old football injuries that are creeping up on me now. Okay, now I don't want to I don't want to embarrass uh, Tim, but Tim likes the Red Bull. Are you still drinking like what two or three Red Bulls a night, Tim? How many? Uh, how many? Tim, get away from that stuff. He's always oh, drinking tea now. How was oh, how was Tim good, doing? Good man. Well, uh, the Red Bull stuff, all that's it's good for stimulation, but that just drives your metabolism. It, it, pays, it plays havoc with your pancreas and your spleen. Uh, for young people, energy good, but you know, like me, I used to bang my head on the wall playing football, and now I'm paying the price from way back when. But I would kill to have Tim's metabolism. Look at he's a hoe handle. He, he's doing good. I don't see any problems other than a little bit of indigestion or something in the, in the tummy. Are you, Timmy, are you taking protein uh, shakes or something like that? Because it's not digesting well. No, he says he's not taking protein shakes. Yeah. Well, something's not digesting well in, in his tummy. Any digestion problems? Any tummy problems, Timmy? <laughs> no, he's shaking it off. Yeah, okay. All right. That's but, it. Uh, Otherwise, in good health. All right. Well, and listen. He's, and he's behind me. I'm not looking at him. So, uh, you know. And how about yours truly? How am I doing? You're in good shape. Uh, blood pressure up and down a little bit. A little bit of uh, blood sugar issues. Just, just mild, minor. Uh, you have like uh, hypo, the uh, hypo, th- the thyroid. Let me get that one. Thyroid is is uh, uh, not hyperactive, but hypoactive. A little sluggish. Right. And that's a huge issue now uh, with with people. Apparently, the thyroid issues. What's going on? Well, all the glandular, it's called the intercon system. All, the hormonal therapy has been overlooked. It should be men and women should be paid attention to. Because when you do that, the chemistry in your body works well and you don't get depressed. And you need to get more light. Okay, you need to get out there and get a tan. A lot of vitamin D issues. Here. My kids are telling me that. They say, Dad, you're pale. Well, yeah, pale. well I'm not just looking at you pale. Is that? You're, <laughs> you're, you're, you, need, you need a lot of vitamin D. And, and sun, you know, if, if you suffer from um, a sluggish thyroid... And you're a little pale, then you're headed towards. Uh, I got to get back to Greece, is what I need to do. Mm. All right. Douglas, a always pleasure. a pleasure. A Thank pleasure. you, my friend. DouglasJamesCottrell.com. Thank you for having me, Richard. It's always a pleasure to see you, my friend. God All bless. Right. Victor Vigiani, 
and the NORAD documents when the Conspiracy Show continues right after this. Welcome back. Victor Vigiani is uh, with us now, joining us uh, by Skype. And uh, Victor uh, usually joins us whenever we delve into uh, the UFO extraterrestrial arena. And he, of course, is the executive director of Zeland News Network. And uh, Victor, uh, as it turns out, is quite the investigative reporter and has been uh, for a number of years sort of, uh, I guess, amassing some documents uh, perhaps through the Freedom of Information Act. We'll find out here in a, in a, in a few moments uh, about that. But this, this has to do with uh, Canadian Air Force pilots perhaps interacting um, with UFOs. And uh, Victor's ongoing battle to get some answers from, well, he went right to the top in this case. He, he um, contacted then-Defense Minister Peter McKay here in Canada and uh, had a rather sort of laugh-out-loud response, but um, we'll get to that right now. Victor Vigiani, welcome once again, my friend. How are you? Just fine, Richard. How are you doing? I'm very well. So, uh, well, take us back to uh, the... Uh, what, what are these documents exactly that you have, and how did you get them? Well, initially, uh, back in late 2008 and uh, early 2009, uh, the process was... Uh, was rather a long and arduous one. Um, I had found out through some um, uh, through some pilots that I had uh, contact with uh, just after a symposium back in 2005. Several pilots did communicate with me. Actually, three of them did, and uh, one of them specifically said to me, Richard, that, "Oh yes, we were, our our jets are scrambled all the time to uh, to go and chase after these things or um, whatever those what they call unknown tracks are." And uh, it sort of tweaked my interest, and um, as a result of that, I formulated several freedom of information requests, and, and that's, uh, that's an American term, actually. Um, our term is access to information, AIA, here in Canada. And um, uh, I, I sent out one request initially. I, I think it was, uh, boy, late 2007, early 2008, and uh, I didn't get much back because I didn't ask the right question. When you um, ask uh, the access to information uh, people for information, you you have to be very, very specific about what you ask for. They they were like pulling a Mayor Rob Ford on you. Do you do drugs? No, I do not do drugs. Do you smoke crack cocaine? No, I do not. Have you ever seen a UFO? (laughs) Exactly. If you don't ask the right question, you don't get the the answer that you're looking for. So after, uh, it's like playing a, a ping pong game. Uh, you know, back and forth against the wall. You, you, the ball keeps on coming back to you with with no uh, with no spin on it. So um, uh, I, I eventually I I asked the right question, and uh, I think this was after three three uh, three sessions with them. And uh, what they did was they sent they sent back to me uh, well over 90, 90 pages ninety four pages actually uh, about um, different kinds of UFO events. Uh, files, uh, air traffic controller, um, logs, uh, uh, citizen reports, and uh, pr- pretty boring stuff, actually. Uh, it was really not that, that consequential. But in the middle of all of those files was uh, a NORAD status and events uh, document, a secret NORAD status and events document. And, and if people are listening on the Internet, uh, they, they can go right now to... Um, uh, to, to to the website Zeland Communications Blogspot, uh, that's where the um, the Canadian NORAD jets uh, um, 
uh, document is listed. If you want to look at all the documents, they're right there. And if you want to pan through them, they're all they're all right there too. So they they sent me these um, uh, six pages, and it's it begins Richard with a, a virtually uh, a blank page, uh, and it's uh, released under the 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 air um, the AIA Information Act unclassified, and the document um, reads significant events, and there's one uh, sort of rectangle. And it says unknown tracks at W108. It's all filled with technical terms, all kinds of uh, navigational terms. Track remain unknown and faded out at whatever number of feet. But it, it, basically, Richard, the entire document, the first page, 90% uh, of it is, is redacted under uh, Section S115, Section 1. Uh, which uh, refers to the fact that it has to do with national security. So that first page is entirely redacted. And then if you go on to page two, a very similar kind of document, a little bit more verbiage in it, but they talk about unknown tracks at a certain altitude. It is also about 50% uh, redacted. And then we go on to page, um, page three, which has about 57 lines in it and you've got to if you're looking at the document it's really kind of strange because they they um, the air traffic controller lists each moment by moment literally almost second by second um, uh, event for each jet these jets take off at uh, 1155.28 and then they're in the air and doing something they're joining something at 1155.38 and their next move is, move is 1156.08. So there's lines here, Richard, that tell uh, the air traffic controller what these jets, these two CF-18 jets, after they take off out of Comox Air Force Base out of Vancouver, they, they list what these jets are doing literally second by second. There's maybe 15 or 20 seconds between each one of these events. And they're flying in the air, and these things were, were um, uh, told to take off and go and chase these, these three unknown tracks. Unknown tracks. Uh, is there any further description? Uh, uh, airspeed, um, aerial maneuvers, shape, size, color. No, nothing like that at all. Uh, they, 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 they talk about um, altitude um, later on in the document. Uh, they don't talk about uh, speed other than uh, later on in the document, uh, I think it's on page 3 or page 4, uh, a medical evacuation jet, a Lear 35 medical evacuation jet out of Anchorage, uh, Alaska, uh, was in the area uh, where these tracks were seen. And it communicated with the air traffic controllers that they had seen these things, the, these two things, but they could not keep up with them. That's what it says. It says on page uh, four, it talks about these Learjets actually making some sort of either visual or radar contact with them, but they weren't able to keep up with them. That's exactly what the, the Learjets said to the air traffic controllers. So, um, you know, the top speed of those aircraft is probably the Learjets, you're talking probably um, three to 400 miles an hour, uh, you know, at, at that altitude. So the, these things were, were doing much more much more of a speed than, than, than that. My estimate is probably well over uh, four to 500 miles per hour. So that's the only indication of, of the kind of, of speed these things are traveling at. Well, what uh, then would lead you, uh, I guess, to, uh, I don't know, speculate that these might be, I don't know, some sort of extraterrestrial vehicle? Could they not have been... Who knows, like a MiG, a, a, a Russian fighter, uh, a Russian uh, jet of some sort, or uh, some sort of 
you know, foreign aircraft. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's very common. Uh, a lot of times, what happens is is um, uh, NORAD will pick up uh, radar um, of, of of any kind. And what happens is the first thing to look for, Richard, is a, a transponder signal. Okay, that's the first thing they look for. And these these craft that were um, uh, that were located by the radar to begin with had there was no transponder signal at all. There was no uh, emanating signal. That, a transponder, for for those who, who might not know, uh, every aircraft that, that that takes off has to have a transponder which sends out a signal to tell any aircraft that's in the vicinity or any um, air traffic controllers on the ground where that aircraft is. And it uh, essentially, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, it says, I'm here, I'm sending out a signal, here's where I am, if you need to locate me, here's my frequency, and uh, I, I'm here in, in, the, in the airspace. These, these things did not have any kind of transponder at all. Or the transponder that, that they may have had was not functioning. Well, if you're if you're in, you know if you're flying into um, another country's airspace and you don't want to be detected, wouldn't you simply switch your transponder off? Or could they, they could do yeah they could do that. Okay. But the problem there, uh, Richard, was that these two um, CF-18s actually got up to the altitude as to where these things were. Okay, and uh, on page three of the document. Um, the the, um, uh, the 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 CF-18s actually said yes we are 90 seconds away from the target, and then as they approach the target, uh, they actually um, on, on page four said they made contact with the document with, with the with the object contact. So they they made contact with it. It says it exactly that on line. It's, it's about twelve lines on the bottom of um, page uh, the NORAD page three document. Actually, the, the the number of the page is page eighty nine. But I have numbered it page three in my in my listing. And it says on uh, the, the the line first of all it says time to target with the CF eighteen is ninety seconds. And the next line reads CAD SMCS YQQ CF eighteens have contact at thirty five thousand. Feet, so that in essence tells me uh, that these CF-18s made some sort of contact. It doesn't say visual or it doesn't say radar. It says have contact. So whatever it was, Richard, be it MIGs or be it uh, a you know a jet airliner that may be off course, they made contact. So they in fact would have known if it was a Russian Russian MIG, or they would have known that it was a an airliner that's off um, uh, that, that's off off its uh, flight path. So in fact, it says, and this is the this is the really big news here. It says that CF-18s have contact at thirty five thousand feet, and that is, um, you know, definite proof that these that these jets made contact with something. Now, you uh, you took this information uh, to the, uh, the the then defense minister uh, here in Canada, Peter McKay. Mm -hmm. Yep. And what was his response? Well, uh, the, the first the first thing I learned from uh, Mr. McKay's uh, response, and I've got it here in front of me, is in the, in the interest of standardization, let me establish the the North American. He starts getting into all different kinds of uh, of, uh, of, of babblegog that <laughs> is basically undecipherable. The bottom line is that he could not find this document. He 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 went to the dates that I had. 
he went to other other incidents um, that he had, I guess, his officials look for uh, for him. And one of them was a, a you know an airline jet, uh, a, a Japanese or rather a, a Chinese uh, jet that, uh, airliner that they they didn't know it was off track. They guided it back uh, on onto onto its course. Okay, China Airlines. And there was another one that they couldn't explain. But it, it, the the fact of the matter was. Uh, this this the other one was over Baffin Island. He 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 did not have any kind of response at all, and could not find the actual document that that his own department had given me. So in fact, he really had no idea what was going on about the specific incident that I have cataloged and that the Access of Information National Defense Department sent to me. And this is the physical document; it's right there. And I don't understand for one moment why this man uh, could not find these documents. And uh, it, it really kind of is very, very confusing that the Minister, minister of Defense here in Canada, the, then Minister, could not locate the, these particular documents. And then he goes on to say, well, Mr. Vigiani, you know, not knowing all the circumstances around uh, the incident that you're referring to, uh, we would just like to explain this to you as either a, a, an aircraft that um, has a non-functioning or has no transponder at all, or they are, and I'm going to be quote writing now, uh, a flock of birds. A flock 30, of birds at 35,000 feet. At 35, now, I know no ornithoid capable of flying at 35,000 feet. So uh, what we have here is a situation, Richard, very clearly, that the Minister of Defense is, is uh, he's flying blind. He has no idea what we're talking about. He has, um, his, his, his department is, is unable to find these documents. He's unable to find these documents. And eventually, Richard, we're going to get to the bottom of why he made that kind of explanation based on literally no facts at all. Well, Victor, stay on the case. We know you will. And uh, thank mm -hmm. you for your, uh, your dogged pursuit of the truth, my friend. Yeah. Well, we're going to be sending out a whole lot of information to a number of uh, high-level ministers in, the, in, in Parliament demanding answers, and that is going to be going out sometime this week, Richard. All right, my friend. We'll see you soon. Take care now. Victor Vigiani. Thank you, Tim Spreen, for production next week. Angelic Encounters with Rosemary Ellen Guiley and the secret U.S. plan to pull the plug on the Internet and cell phone communications. That's Department of Homeland Security. In the meantime... We'll see you next week. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.